Now joining me here on Next on the T is Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarran. Let me give you some background on Scott. He's from Sacramento, California, played his college golf at UCLA, where he graduated with his degree in history. Following his graduation, he gave up golf for four years to help his father with their family golf apparel business, came back and turned pro in 1992 and made the PGA Tour in 1994. He won three times on the PGA Tour at the 96 Freeport McDermott Classic by five strokes over Tom Watson, at the 97 Bell South Classic here in Atlanta by three strokes over David Duvall, Lee Jansen, and Brian Henninger. He repeated here in Atlanta at the Bell South Classic in 2001, winning by a stroke over Mike Weir. He's partnered with Bruce Litsky and later Brad Faxon to win the Templeton Shark shootout three times, and he and Brian Henninger paired up again to win the Fred Meyer Challenge in 2002. Since joining the Champions Tour, he's won 11 times, including three wins last year. One of those three wins again here in Atlanta at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. Those wins, coupled with his consistently great play all season and his play in the playoffs, earned him the year-long Charles Schwab Cup and the PGA Tour Champions Championship and the Jack Nicklaus Trophy for being their player of the year. He also has the biggest forearms, I think, on the planet, and I'm very honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show. You got it, Chris. That's one of that's a heck of an intro. That was long. I like that. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. In, <laughs> in long and distinguished career. So kudos to you, Scott. I always like to start with a with a guest for the first time by going back to when you started playing the game. Talk about when that was. Who was the first person to put a club in your hands? And then uh, a little bit about your family's apparel business. Well, certainly, my uh, my father was the first one to get me introduced into golf. Um, as soon as I could basically walk, I mean, he was taking me to the driving range. Uh, as a little kid, my first toy was a cut-down golf club, and I was crawling around with that golf club everywhere I could go. So um, I, as soon as I could stand up, I was you know, hitting plastic golf balls in the backyard. My dad would take me to the driving range, and I started playing you know, my first tournament when I was four years old. Um, so I, I played golf from a very early Early on, my dad was a professional baseball player, um, made it to AAA and played shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago Cubs. So a very good athlete. When he quit playing baseball, he just started playing a lot of golf. And that's really what got me into golf. So growing up, uh, I played all sports, baseball, basketball, football, all the way until about uh, sophomore year in high school. And then kind of quit everything just to focus on golf. So talk about your... Uh... Your family's uh, golf apparel business. How'd your dad go from uh, being a minor league baseball player to golf apparel? Well, he got he actually did a, like, quite a few different jobs. He was a golf salesman for Royal Golf Company years ago. I don't remember they were a division of Uniroyal. Yeah, um, they had the Royal Plus Six, the Royal Masters golf ball, they made clubs, shoes, and everything. So he was uh, a golf salesman for them and uh, Western Regional Sales Manager when we moved up to Seattle, covering the whole Northwest. Um, and then he was in the golf business selling Jack Nichols golf shoes and Burton golf bags. And then he got in the embroidery business way back when, when nobody was really doing much in embroidery. I think there was only one machine in Northern California that was in San Francisco. We, um, had an embroidery machine and started making, uh, have his own apparel made golf shirts and just selling golf shirts and embroidered logos to golf courses all around, uh, the West Coast. And that turned more into corporate, uh, type logos golf shirts and sweaters and hats and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, he was doing that uh, when I was in junior high and high school in Napa. And unfortunately, uh, he had just moved the business 
in 86 to downtown Napa and it got hit with a flood. Um, and we lost everything, lost the business. And, wow. And, uh, all of our, all, all of our merchandise, the burning machines and, uh, everything. So he went through a period of time where he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Um, I was graduating from UCLA in 88. Uh, he needed, he had kind of been out of business for a year and a half and I was, uh, headed to law school and I kind of said, you know, what if I, go in business with you and I'll go get uh, the SBA loans and let's go make a go of this and see if we can do it. And that's what we did. Um, I went and got SBA loans under my name, started the business and uh, called competitor golf apparel. And we started going right back into doing what he had done before. Um, then we decided to, we could lose more money if we manufactured headwear start to finish. So we started a company <laughs> called Cap USA. Uh, you know, and this was uh, right at the end of the uh, 1980s, the 90s. Uh, you know, where the economy was not great and we were trying to, uh, make headwear start to finish, um, here in the United States because so many of the headwear was made overseas, uh, which was cheaper. Um, but, you know, we wanted to, you know, have American made. And, uh, so we, we had 40 employees selling hats and I was out selling hats and getting sales forces to sell caps USA. And we were doing that and doing the, uh, the apparel at the same time. And, I somehow just kind of got back into golf. It was actually through uh, a Champions Tour event at my home course at the time, Rancho Marietta, called the Rayleigh Senior Gold Rush. Um, I really wasn't playing much golf for about three, three and a half years. And the only time I really played golf was to help run charity events. And basically, I was helping them to sell shirts. Um, I would sell 144 shirts or hats and help them run the events since I had the golf background. So I, I was only playing in scramble tournaments for um, you know, a couple of years. That's that's the only golf I really played. I was skiing, doing about 50 days a year skiing. I got my pilot's license. I was flying, a little skydiving and kayaking. I started a flag football city league team. Um, I played uh, city league basketball, softball, two softball leagues. I was playing five uh, O tennis team, um, and I was playing open racquetball tournaments. So you know, I was doing all these things that I hadn't been able to do all those years because I was playing golf. And uh, was having a good time. But after I saw a bunch of these Champions Tour guys putting with a long putter, um, I went home and made one myself that night and went out and putted with it. And that's what really got me back into golf. Um, I started signing up for some amateur events just for fun and was winning them. And uh, that's when I decided to uh, uh, turn pro. I almost won the U.S. mid-amateur when I was 25 at the Long Cove, lost quarterfinals. And lo and behold, I came back and said, you know, I'm done with working. I want to go play golf and see what, see what can happen here. Uh, it was a good decision. <laughs> Thank God, you know, the businesses weren't doing that great at the time. <laughs> and then I was able to uh, kind of stop that and go and, and, and play golf. Because uh, if the businesses were still were really doing well, I might be still selling shirts and hats. So let's go back a little bit. And you mentioned your time at, uh, at UCLA. Why UCLA? Well, UCLA, uh, a couple reasons. One, when I was being they were number one in the nation. Uh, they had great players. Uh, Corey Pavin, Jay Delsing, Duffy Waldorf, uh, Brad Bell, uh, Mickey Akoy. I mean, these guys were, were phenomenal uh, college players. So when I got recruited, uh, I went to UCLA, I went to Stanford, went to Arizona, Arizona State, uh, University of Pacific for my recruiting trip. But uh, once I went to UCLA, went to the Rose Bowl and saw a football game and, you know, Overlook at Westwood. I thought this was a pretty cool place uh, with academics and athletics, and uh, decided to go there. 
Scott, like I mentioned in your intro, you've had a lot of success. I'm here in Atlanta, and you've had a lot of success here. What What is it about, you know, the, the times at the Bell South Classic or Mitsubishi Electric Classic last year? What is it about the city of Atlanta that seems to bring out the best in your game? Yeah, it's one of my favorite golf courses of all time. And my first practice round there at uh, was with Greg Norman. And uh, he kind of lines you can take and, and where you can hit some of the shots. And uh, it's helped me out quite a bit to, uh, to learn that golf course. Um, it's a golf course that, uh, you know, you, if you're a long driver, you can take it over a lot of the bunkers, um, get some extra roll, and take advantage of some of those par fives. It, it, it just uh, fit my eye the first time I ever played it. So I uh, was able to win there that first year in 97, uh, and then had a couple times where I had chances again uh, right after that, and then was able to win there in 2001 for the second time, and then, you know, lo and behold, we go and have a championship tour event there and uh, was able to, to win that uh, last year. Even though we played the new nine, which was a very difficult nine, we had some difficult conditions. Uh, I really enjoyed that, that new nine and just I just have good feelings there. Big congratulations to you on the on the Charles Schwab Cup uh, championship last season. Uh, as you as you were going through that event, one of the things that I think is always challenging about whether it's the FedEx Cup or the Charles Schwab Cup is keeping track of the points and all of that sort of thing. And Longer is is making a hard charge at the end of last season. How did you try to keep track of where you were in relation to he and everybody else to make sure that you brought the cup home? Well, it was interesting. I had a very pretty big lead going into the playoffs, and I really wasn't thinking too much about it. Um, the playoff tournaments that we play at, I, I've had good event tournaments at over the years. I, I just felt like you know my game was I was playing well. I had a chance to win uh, a couple weeks beforehand up in Canada, the Shaw Cherry Classic, to almost make it three in a row. But West Short got a great break off the rocks out of the pond on 18 to, to beat me by a shot. So, you know, I really wasn't thinking about uh, the Schwab Cup too much or the points or how far I ahead. And it wasn't until after uh, really the first event. And Jerry Kelly had won the week before at SAS, and then he had played well, and Keith Goosen was playing well, and all of a sudden these guys started catching up, and you know, then I started thinking about the points a little bit, where I needed to be, and where they needed to be, and all these things, and um, I was talking a lot with Tom Lehman and Bernard Longer, both, both were telling me how difficult it was for them to win their first Schwab Cup, you know, it's a year-long race, everybody's gunning for you, you know, you, this is something you've wanted all year, you know, we start putting more pressure, and so, you know, a lot of guys were telling me not to put pressure on yourself, just play your game. I think the more guys were telling me that, the more I was putting pressure on myself and thinking about <laughs> it. So it just, uh, you know, it, it made it hard. I, I didn't, I, I played decent uh, through the first couple of rounds uh, at Sherwood. And then uh, with nine holes to go, uh, I think I shot 42 or something like that, just to plummet down the leaderboard going from like fifth to, you know, 30th or whatever. And and that was more just starting to think about the Schwab Cup. And so it was really in my head. And certainly in the last week in Phoenix, I did not play well. I was just a mess. And then all the guys were behind me that uh, I didn't need to play well were all playing well. <laughs> they were all in the top five. Langer, <laughs> Houston, Monty, and Jerry Kelly. And these guys were just playing up a storm. So it was, you know, one of the most, I don't know if you saw it, but it was one of the more incredible finishes in all of golf with Maggard and Ratif Goosen uh, in a playoff with the Charles Schwab Cup hanging in the balance. If if Ratif wins, he wins the Schwab Cup. And if Maggard wins the playoff, then I win the Schwab Cup. So uh, it, it was quite exciting. And then for Maggard to hold it on the third playoff hole from 100, 
27 yards of the pitching wedge, uh, you know, one of the best shots I've ever seen. Um, and one of the, one of the most timely shots that's ever happened in my life while I was sitting on a veranda holding a glass of wine. Uh, <laughs> quite a way to win the Schwab Cup. <laughs> so, so that begs the question, what did Maggard get for holding the shot? I'm sure, I'm sure it wasn't just an attaboy. No, no, no. We sent him a, we sent him a case of wine from a small little winery called Emmaus that's owned by a friend of mine that, uh, is one of the, one of the best wines. They serve it in the French laundry. Uh, and it's just phenomenal wine. So we, Maggie got a nice case of wine. And, uh, by the time I saw him in Hawaii, which has been, uh, just about maybe three weeks after he'd gotten the case, uh, he'd already gone through it and was wanting to know where his second case was. <laughs> I think he thought it was a weekly case. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So, Scott, have any of you guys actually seen Bernhard Longer bleed? Are we sure he's human? Because, I mean, the guy is just like a piece of German machinery that just keeps rolling on. I mean, he's going to be 63 in August, but he's already won once this season, and he's leading, you know, the, the cup uh, standing so far this year whenever that gets to get picked back up. But the guy's just absolutely amazing. He, you know, he really is. And, you know, he's kind of been one of the guys that inspired me to do the, as much as I can here after my career on the PGA Tour and into the Champions Tour. Um, he works out. He eats right. He does his homework on the golf course. He practices the right way. I mean, he really does a great job. And, um, watching him take apart a golf course, how he, you know, never really misses it in the wrong spot. He never short sides himself. He'll, he might miss a green or two, but he puts in a position where he, he's got a fairly easy up and down. Um, he, he just doesn't make many mistakes. So, you know, one of the most incredible golfers over a span of a lifetime. I mean, you know, People don't realize how good he was. I mean, this guy was one of the best players in the world for a long, long time. And I know he battled some putting issues over the years, but to still battle those issues and be one of the best players of all time, a Hall of Famer, um, you know, a lot of credit to Brent Liger. He, he's a guy that uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to call a friend. Um, and he's kind of a mentor a little bit to me and, and, and a great guy and, and someone I would like to emulate uh, my life. like. That's guy, you're in tremendous shape. Talk about your regimen. How do you stay in such great shape year round? Well, I do. I've been uh, staying in pretty good shape. My wife uh, is a triathlete, uh, and she now rides horses. And she loves working out. She's a uh, was a uh, workout instructor, and, and so she has always been into fitness. So for the last eight nine years, um, I've become more into fitness than I think I ever was uh, on the regular tour. So I, I think she's been a, a, a big part of my life to, to stay in shape. And, and I think also being at 50, knowing that, you know, there is a time where I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. And it could be, you know, eight years. It could be 10 years. It could be 14 years. But there's a, a, a limit. And, you know, when you're on the PGA Tour, you're not really thinking about this is going to be over in a few years. Uh, where the Champions Tour, uh, there is a time period. where, you, And so I want to make sure I take advantage and, and be in the best shape that I can each and every week, so my body's ready to go, and then I can compete at the highest level. Um, I, I don't think I could have won the Schwab Cup last year if I wasn't in good shape. And you know, especially this year. You know, right now we've got a lot of off time, um, and so I'm going to be in the best physical shape that I can be in because once we come back, whenever that may be, we're going to play a lot of events in a row, and so the guys that are in good shape are going to have a lot, a big advantage over the guys that. Uh, watched uh, Tiger King and drank the whole time off. So I, I'm going to do, every, do everything I can to, to be ready 
when that bell finally does ring, that uh, that, that I give myself the best opportunity to try to back up uh, another Schwab Cup. I've got uh, you're going to be 55 in July, so in in a little over four years on the Champions Tour, you've won nearly four times as many tournaments as you did when you were on the PGA Tour. But it comes against many of the same guys you've competed against for 30 years. What's different now? Well, I think what's different is it's a numbers game. Chris, you know, you look at the PGA Tour, they tee up 144 to 156 guys each week, where, you know, 135 or 40 of those guys could win. Um, well, we're teeing up 78, 81 guys. Um, and our tour, not every guy in our event can win. You know, there's guys that are sometimes Monday qualifiers that have never played an event. Uh, uh, there's guys that, uh, you know, haven't been competitive for a while. So, you know, it's a numbers game. You're playing against. 35, 40 guys each week to have a chance to win as opposed to 140. So um, if you're playing well, I, I feel like if I play well on the Champions Tour, I'm always going to be somewhere near the hunt. Uh, that wasn't the case in the regular tour. If I was playing well, you might be 10 shots behind the leader. you know. Uh, but on the Champions Tour, I feel like if I play well, then I'm always going to be somewhere near the hunt and with a couple birdies can get, uh, can get right up there. So it's a very competitive um, I'm playing against the same guys I competed against uh, on the radio tour for all those years, but it's just a smaller number of guys doing it. Uh, that I think that's why I've had success. I've been able to win 11 times, uh, which, you know, when you look at it, it feels like a lot, but I also look at it like I let probably six or seven of them go that I felt like I should have won. So um, we're always trying to get better. Um, I look at what Langer's done. It's just incredible. Like what Hale Irwin did uh, was incredible. And, and I think a lot of it too, what spurred me on is uh, I got to have dinner at Jack Nicholson's house a couple of years ago, right after I'd won Allianz in Florida. And he kind of pulled me aside and he said, uh, you know, one of the things I regret in my life, I wish I would have played more in the PGA Tour Champions. Um, I had so much fun playing with all the guys I got to compete with. It was a more relaxed atmosphere, but it was so competitive um, because once it's over, it's over. You don't get to go back. So he goes, don't make that same mistake. Give it all you got and, and, and play as much as you can. So, you know, for arguably the greatest player that's ever lived to say that, um, that shows how much the Champions Tour really means to all of us. And speaking of that, again, we talk about the same guys you played with, you know, played against for, for all those years. Um, talk about the camaraderie. I'm, I'm sure there, there are times when you guys are having fun and yucking it up like your, your old buddies. But uh, at the same time, I'm sure you still want to beat each other's brains out. We do. But, you know, again, we've all kind of had our careers. Um, it's not going to make or break us maybe at this point where before you were always vying for your job. I mean, if you didn't get in the top 125, you lose your job. And that could mean you can't pay your mortgage, your kids to go to college, I mean, all those things. We're kind of past that a little bit um, after having decent careers on the PGA Tour. Um, and so there's enough money to go around. There's enough tournaments to go around that you're you're rooting for your buddies to play well. Now you want to beat them. Don't get me wrong. We want to we want to beat each other's brains out week in and week out. But if a guy, if my buddies are have a chance to win, I'll stick around and wait for them. Um, and if I have a chance to win, my guy, my buddies are sticking around to wait for me, which is really cool. Um, it, it's a great group of guys, and it, we're having so much fun out there because we're. I think we appreciate it maybe a little bit more. Um, I think that's why our pro ams when people play in our pro ams, they're having a blast. Because our guys are really giving them a good time in the pro-ams. They're talking with them, they're giving them tips. They'll go in after and have lunch with them. Or if it's 5 o'clock, they might have a cocktail with them. So 
they're really having a, a good time where you don't get that quite as much on, on the regular tour. The guys are, you know, they're focused on their job, trying to keep their position um, and make the name for themselves where, you know, we've kind of all been there, done that. Are you guys hearing anything about uh, when tournament play might resume? Um, well, as far as the PGA Tour champions, we're hearing, uh, we're hearing the senior players championship second week in July at Firestone would be our first one back. Um, I haven't really heard yet. Uh, I've heard some, some rumors about when the PGA Tour is going to start, um, but they haven't made anything official yet. So as of right now, our start will be, uh, second week in July at Firestone in Ohio. But, you know, I, once again, that's still up in the air. So at that event, if, if that is the timing, is it going to be life as normal, fans, you know, interaction with pro-ams, you know, signing autographs and all of that sort of thing? Or do you think uh, it might trickle back where you guys are just playing out there by yourselves? You know, I don't know. I think it, a lot of it has to do with what happens here in the next couple months. Um, you know, one thing with golf is that, you know, you can social distance pretty well in a golf course. Um, and especially at a PGA Tour Champions event, you know, we don't get 40,000, 50,000 people at an event. We might get 10,000 people um, where they can spread out pretty good on a golf course at any given time. So, uh, you know, I think that we could still have fans uh, come out to our event. Uh, but the biggest thing is, will we be able to have tournaments where the sponsors are able to bring in their clients? Uh, are we able to get volunteers to come and volunteer um, for these tournaments? Are we able to, you know, put on an event where we can raise money for the charities, the local charities that need that money? You know, there's a lot of things to go on to have a PGA Tour event or PGA Tour Champions that uh, just doesn't include just the fans. So all of that stuff has to come together. And um, I think we're still a little ways off from that right now. Got just a couple more before I let you go. And and you commented on one of the tweets that I had put out there uh, with Owen Brown, who is a, a great friend of the show. I love Owen a lot. And uh, you mentioned he is one of the great ornithologists out there. Yes, so what made is. you say that? Well, he is. he's one of the guys that anytime you play with Owen, no matter where you are, see all kinds of birds, seagulls and gulls, big birds, little birds. And, and you just point to him and say, Owen, what's that? And he would know. I mean, he's the guy on our tour that he studied that. Um, big time and he, he knows birds he knows fish so uh he's our resident ornithologist if you don't have an idea of what that bird is just ask Colin. and i want to get uh one quick playing lesson from you scott and i saw a video that you did about gripping the golf club and i want to focus on one aspect of that and and so many of us you know are gripping that thing especially our driver as hard as we can because we want to kill it you know when we get up there and and that's probably the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Talk about grip pressure. Well, I think grip pressure needs to be just uh, strong enough that uh, it's not going to fly out of your hands. Um, tension, anytime you grip it tight, that causes tension. If you have tension in your in your hands, and you're going to have tension in your forearms, tension in your shoulders, your neck, I mean, everything. So I think it all comes from relaxing your hands, your shoulders, your wrists, your arms. Uh, but you still have to hold on to that golf club tight enough that it's not going to be flying out of your hand. So there's a little bit of pressure there, but not so much that you're giving it the old death grip. Scott, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? Yeah, you can follow me on uh, online at, at Scott McCarran on Twitter. Um, we do tweet a little bit. I've been starting to put out some uh, 
some old lessons that uh, I worked on with my teacher, E.A. Tischler, when we started working together six years ago. So it's kind of fun to revisit some of these old lessons that uh, my wife videotaped at the time when we were just dating. And, and uh, we, we, I saved all, all these all these old lessons and, you know, put them in a little file so I can go back and relearn them because you're, we're always working on the same stuff. And so it's been a lot of fun to kind of go through that. And I'm going to start uh, unloading a few more of them in the next few weeks. Well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Anytime, Chris. Uh, you, uh, stay safe and I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Catch up with you soon. Thank you. That's the great Scott McCarron at Scott McCarron on Twitter. Give him a follow. He's, uh, he's fantastic. What a, what a great segment that was. Oh, boy, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up again. Uh, with Scott real soon. Wish him the best out there on the Champions Tour. I'll be, uh, I'll be tuning in and watching he and then, uh, and our good friends, Owen Brown and Donnie Hammond and, uh, Sean McKeel, Bob Estes, such great friends of the show out there. And, uh, we'll be k- keeping track of all of those guys, hopefully in, uh, in mid July, just like, uh, Scott said. Wish him the best. We look forward to catching up with him again soon.